everyone and welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist podcast. My name's Amelia, I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Anime Feminist and I'm joined today by Peter Phobian and very special guest Miles Thomas. Guys, can you introduce yourselves? I'm Peter Phobian, I'm an Associates Features Editor at Crunchyroll and a Contributor and Editor at Anime Feminist. My name is Miles Thomas, I have been described to the producer of Shirobako as the world's greatest Shirobako fan. <laughs> That's exactly why we brought you here, because today we're starting a new style of format for Chatty AF, which is a watch along. So it's going to be a way for us to break down and look at older series with a, more of a feminist viewpoint. Um, so we're going to do it weekly, six episodes at a time, so that we can cover a 24 episode show in a month. And we're starting with Shirobako. The reason for this is because we have a few patrons, a few fans who have been pushing for this for a little while. <laughs> and I feel like I've been talking about Shirobako to people for well over a year now, and I've never seen it. So it seemed like a really good starting point. I've been assured by many people that I'll love it. Um, so I'm really excited to get through this particular show. So first of all, I just want to talk about what your experiences of Shirobako were before this watch along. Miles is going to take a little while to talk, I think. So we'll start with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched about 10 minutes of Shirobako maybe a year ago. I got to the close up of an adult female character's chest and I said, I'm done. This clearly isn't as, as good as I've been told by all the people who assured me I'd love it. So I'm not interested in watching anymore and I just switched it off. Um, which, to be honest, is pretty much my watching style when I don't review anime. I'm much more hardline about turning off as soon as we get to something that reads as fan service to me. Um, but I got very criticised for this by Shirobaka fans. Um, some of some of the friendlier ones were just disappointed. They said, I think you'll really like it. It's a shame you're not willing to continue. And then others were pretty unpleasant about it. Um, basically saying that's a ridiculous reason to switch off it's far too good <laughs> to turn off for a reason like that um it didn't really leave me wanting to watch any more so i've left it until now peter what's your experience well i was definitely aware of it for quite a while working in the office is actually kind of hard to uh to <laughs> miss shirobako uh nate actually watched the whole series recently and said it was better than he thought it would be Miles, uh, do we call it uh, your shelf? Is that what the official my sh my shrine. verbiage is for that? Oh, it, it is a shrine. Okay. I thought we weren't allowed to call it that uh, <laughs> on Miles' desk. Um, I see a lot of gifts about it, and I like knew the general premise, but um, I just, just um, didn't, I guess, have a compelling reason to start it up um, until now. So here we are. And Miles, what is your experience with Shirobako? So when it was first announced, um, and actually this ties in with, the whole point of this podcast too when it was first announced i was beyond excited because it seemed to me to be just a um behind the scenes featurette the anime and <laughs> often like last night we watched miss hokusai and there's a two hour long documentary about making this hour and a half movie and i cannot tell you right now which part i enjoyed more the movie or the featurette which <laughs> feature length feature i was gonna say that's no featurette <laughs> so I've always been like a, I love seeing how the sausage gets made. So I was super excited. And then about a month before the anime came out, they released the first magazine image. And now a lot of these magazine images that are used to promote shows that are about to come out are a little more titillating. Um, and it kind of tells you what kind of show it is. And so the first image revealed of Shirobako beyond like the key art 
was the five main girls drinking beers in bikinis. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. I guess my my wonderful behind-the-scenes feature featurette, like, the anime is going to be about Moe girls, like, in bikinis. I guess this is just the reality we live in. And so I was like, well, I'm still going to watch it. But, like, I was kind of, like, disappointed because I was just so looking forward to that concept. And then I watched the first episode right when it came out. And it was the first anime in, like, a good two years that I had wanted to blog about. Like, I've never been, wow. like, a constant anime blogger. But from the first episode, I wrote, like, a like 3,000-word review about, like, oh, my, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is just, like, my shit. I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to say that on this podcast. But no, I was it's just all good. <laughs> wholly captivated. And I said, okay, as an anime fan, I know that there's always going to be elements that I'm not, like... 100% down with and if it does take this this tact a little more than I would like it to um, that'll just be a disappointment for me um, but as an anime fan you kind of have to internalize a lot of the elements that like as a coastal American like I find less appealing <laughs> um, and I, I just fell in love and I think it also helps that I had just started uh, full-time at Crunchyroll I had been working as a contractor for about 18 months beforehand, but I just started full-time at Crunchyroll around the time the show came out. And so I felt like this kinship with Shirobako, like <laughs> I'm starting in my professional career making mistakes. These, uh, this cast of characters, especially Aoi, they're starting in their professional careers and are making mistakes. And I just felt uh, a really deep kinship with this thing that I was already predispositioned to like from its concept alone. I can completely understand that. It, there's so few anime that focus on the workplace I think and those that do are very often you know maybe they're they're a cast of all female characters or they're a cast of all male characters and there's not a whole lot in the way of adult ensembles like this so that's something that I've really appreciated about Shirobako so far and again I've only watched six episodes I have no idea what's coming one of the things I'm less keen on is probably the character designs because it seems like Shirobaka does a really great job of doing really diverse character designs for the male characters. And then the female characters have all the same body type, the same facial features. And they just, it's like little Le Lego minifigs, you know, they've just got different hair on and different clothes. <laughs> Um, whereas they've proven with kind of the male characters that they can do a really broad range of body types and facial features and use that as a way to express character. And I thought that was a bit of a shame, bit of a missed opportunity. I know that's a, a source of criticism of Shirobako in general. Is that, is that something that gets leveled at it quite a lot? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Moe, same face. Uh I mean, I can jump right into this one Please with do. a rant if you're, if you're down. The the whole same face concept, first of all, it's not 100% accurate because if you swapped the faces of the main five girls, I would know. Um, <laughs> you I mean without hair or eye, yeah. like, okay. eye color? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, even if you switched eye color, I would be able to tell. But I am absolutely insane. And I don't think literally anyone else would. And I would not blame <laughs> anyone for not. I think it's really frustrating that you see the five main characters, the five characters we're supposed to relate to the most and the five mm -hmm. characters we follow the most, all are, they are both at the same time like self-insert characters, stock characters, like both in their personality and their look. And then they're also not at the same time. Like they are some of the most relatable and funny. And maybe that's because they're so self-inserty. It, it's just so frustrating that a show has such a rich and diverse cast with all these different like 
faces and uh, the character designer is the same one who did The Lost Village, which showed off a bunch of different types oh, of yeah. women. Yeah. And like those women look different than each other. And I don't <laughs> I don't know what happened here. Like and one of the only f- women that like has a different body type is Segawa-kun. I mean, t- uh, Segawa-senpai, like the the animator who turned you off in the first episode with yeah. the breast shot. And like her character is half of it is about the fact that she has large breasts and that's played up for laughs or for interest or whatever. And like, okay, that's the only diversity we're going to get that. Yeah. And again, yeah, ex- if, if we didn't have all the men, every single one of them having a different body style, it would be a different story. I think. What do you mean? If it didn't feel like it was just the women getting the treatment of every woman needs to look the same. I would be a little less upset about the fact that we didn't get that kind of that life through character design because character design can do so much to communicate a character's motivations and uh, personality and where they're at in their story. And you uh, you see that with the men. Uh, There's one character, for example, I don't want to spoil anything, whose character type like body type changes throughout the show. And it's like part of his character arc. And you don't see that even in the slightest with the women. No. And I think that one of the things that I find I find interesting about it is I don't from my perspective and feel free to challenge me on this. It seemed like it wasn't just character design in the sense of visuals. It was character design in the sense of temperament as well. There seemed to be less diversity amongst the female characters than amongst the male characters. So the female characters have like there's two characters. I think it's Okasawara and Okitsu, I think. Um, they they have this kind of cool demeanor. That's two women in this cast who have the same kind of personality type. And that personality type is not really represented in the male characters that I've seen so far. But they the male characters seem to have more of a free the freedom to kind of get a bit upset, get a bit angry, get a bit childish, and it doesn't really affect anything. Whereas the female characters all seem to be the kind of upbeat positive optimistic and you know or on the other hand like the cool characters and that it didn't seem to have as much of a range but again feel free to challenge me on this i mean peter what did you think about that i'm actually i've been looking at uh, a side-by-side picture of Aoi and uh what's uh, yoshino and uh i've been like trying like even they're studying it (laughs) i've been trying to figure out if i'd be able to tell the difference when if i was looking at them without like hair color uh and I don't think I could. But uh, one of the <laughs> things I, I did, um, I knew a little bit about the series, but I looked it up uh, after watching uh, the first six episodes, was that a lot of the male characters are based on uh, actual uh, animators and directors in the anime industry. Okay. Like, uh, Kinoshita, um, actually Taro as well, uh, I guess is based on the director of, of Shirobako. Uh, Kitano is Itano, because they talked about the Kitano Circus, which I, I kind of liked as, I mean, as an as a, like a anime uh industry fan i definitely understand why miles likes this show but i guess i don't know why they didn't do that with women was the issue that i i sort of came up with that that like sort of provides an explanation why the women were kind of like all cartoony and the guys were more diverse because the guys were based on actual people but i feel like that they could have done the same thing with a lot of the female characters in the show um uh, correct me if i'm wrong miles i don't know if there were any other female characters or uh, anyone like in the building that is based on like female animators or directors or anyone else in the industry? All of the women in the show who are based on real people are like one-off characters. So 
for example, you see the sound woman. She's based off a, a, a you know, a real woman. All the voice actresses are based off of real women. And in fact, I feel like they show the kind of color in their personality, just in like the few brief lines that they get, that all the male characters in the show seem to. I think really the big comparison that you can make here in terms of personality types is between the five main girls, Taro, and a character who appears later who's like the other Taro, because those <laughs> are the characters that are fiction, like purely fictional. I know that uh, Taro is based on like the director's past experiences, but at the same point, at the same time, he's more of a generic like anime character within the the world than like someone who's strictly based off of someone from experience and the whole strictly based on someone from experience thing is actually why i'm a little more forgiving about the women having more similar personalities because from my conversations with anime production staff and anime producers um i i've noticed that they feel like the they don't see this this gender representation issue uh, when they talk about Shirobako, when I've actually brought it up with them, they see it as these are the type of women who actually can make it in anime, are the ones who are either the cool types or who are have more cheery dispositions no matter what, um, at least on the outside. like it, It's definitely a boiled down look at it. It's not like fair or incredibly representative, but this is kind of reflecting the experiences of the folks who work in anime because... Up until the last like 10 years, women didn't have as big of a role in anime production as men did, aside from like the coloring department has always been historically female or um, things like that. With a couple exceptions, we haven't seen just this incredible uh, mass of like female animators or female directors. That's That's been a pretty recent trend. So I think it's fair that this is being written so much from the perspective of here's what the anime world was like for me and bringing that experience to anime. I think that's fair. And I think that's really fascinating that you say these are the types of women who can make it in anime. Because there are times when I thought, for example, about the diversity of body type. And at the same time, I remember living in Japan and thinking, you know, all all the women around me seem to conform to a very similar aesthetic. And that was, I was at university, so everyone was in like, the height of their conforming stage, I think. Um, there was, in terms of fashion, like people really wanted to to be fashionable and to be kind of trendy in a particular way. Um, I don't know if you've seen this image from a university classroom where like all the guys are wearing the same kind of checked shirt, like taken from a back of a classroom. Like that is very much what my experiences were like. So I I do sometimes think, well, maybe this is actually representative in a certain way. I would rather it be more like the male characters are representative. <laughs> like I'd rather that it actually reflects um, a broader range of reality, perhaps, than saying, oh, well, it can be explained by the fact that all women who make it an anime, they have to be image conscious and they have to be um, upbeat and they have to be kind of cool just to make it. But at the same time, I can respect the fact that that is rooted in a certain type of reality. And then I would also challenge that even just okay. a little bit. Because I do... I do broadly agree with what you're saying but the complication there is the age of the characters Mm -hmm. where i would say if you are in your early 20s in japan in business that's when you're required to be upbeat and because there isn't a long history of women playing the kind of roles that the main five characters in shirobako play 
um, with the exception of maybe uh, writing. So um, Midori or Diesel Chan's role. Um, other than her, uh, women haven't had a long history of playing those roles. So it makes sense for them to all have to follow, quote unquote, have to follow these traits to succeed in the anime industry. And it's true of the, the men as well. We just don't see very many young men except for the one we'll probably spend a lot of time talking about later on in this episode. <laughs> well, let's, well, let's get straight to that. Um, let's talk about Taro because I think you're right. He's, he's a really big topic for discussion, especially on a feminist podcast. I mean, you said that he's, he's based on the director's previous self. Is that right? More or less. Okay, so that might explain why it's quite so unflattering. Because he <laughs> he is just so obnoxious and so difficult to work with and so awful on every level. I can't understand yet how I am expected to empathize with this person, even within 24 episodes. Peter, what was your impression of him? Uh, <laughs> I really... <laughs> There was one, I remember one episode title where it was just like, uh, if you can't do something, you should quit, where I, I was like hoping that was the episode that Taro gets fired or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I guess the, the idea was it, the, the director said when he started out, he like was an asshole who didn't actually know anything but thought he was great. Uh, and I'm definitely seeing that. Um, but yeah, I really want terrible things to happen to him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's... He seems to embody a lot of negative traits typically associated with masculinity. So the idea that he is, you know, trying to get Aoi to set him up with her friends, to send him photos oh. of them because they're cute, and one of them could be his future girlfriend or wife, um, and, like, hiding his problems from people out of pride until they're, too, they're almost too big to fix, and just absolutely refusing to let other people help him, even though... Within these six episodes, the point is made very clearly to Aoi that this is a collaborative effort. Anime requires teamwork. And Taro is not on that page because he's saying this is my problem and I need to deal with it. Hence causing problems for everybody else. Particularly Aoi, who on her day off gets this call from him, acting really affronted that she's like unavailable to help him on her day off. To fix a mistake that he made. And he just greets it with that with, oh, I don't like girls who drink. I found him oh. so frustrating in every possible way, but it is a lot of really kind of negative, negative traits associated with masculinity. And if the director's looking back and remembering how he used to be in his early 20s, I guess I can understand where that's coming from. Yeah, it's a so. good thing that he has, uh, what do you call it, the, the introspective ability to realize that he used to be awful and was also <laughs> able to fix that aspect of himself. <laughs> And well, yeah, good for him. But <laughs> at the same assuming, time, I'm assuming he... he's better now. I hope he's better now. I don't, I don't know the the director too much by his, his reputation. <laughs> Let's hope he's better now. Um, um, Peter, you told me over message that you thought it was quite interesting because he was potentially kind of making the point that the the women in the cast. So he's a production assistant. Mm -hmm. So is Aoi. So is Erika, and he is nowhere near as competent as either of them but he doesn't get fired he doesn't seem to suffer too badly when he does make mistakes it's just other people rally around and fix them for him like how did that feel to you watching that 
And I just remember every interaction she had with him, I remember that uh, the line about women having to work twice as hard to get the same amount of recognition in the workplace. Yeah. And uh, I think with the, the issue in episode six, she literally resolves it for him. And then he, well, first of all, uh, the thing goes bad and he says, it's this is your fault as well. And yeah. you know, like he starts off at 50% or whatever. And then when the, when it's fixed, he uh, takes credit for that as well. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think anybody really believes him. Um, but he... But he keeps thinks, his job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And he didn't get in trouble at all. I, I guess the... Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. The one who's always wearing the sweater over his shoulders. Uh, Honda? Honda, yes. Kind of criticizes him really quick, but goes, well, whatever, let's fix this. I guess he was busy locking that guy in a cage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's... I, I, if it was done from that perspective, I, I almost would say that it's really good. I mean, I, I don't think that the character... Taro himself is bad, but I don't think putting that character in the show is bad, mm. um, especially if it was done with the intention of showing that they have to be really working hard to kind of make themselves get noticed. Miles, how do you feel about Taro as a character? I mean, I think he serves the role of what Mizushima really was looking for in the series, which mm. was to share his own personal experiences of the anime industry. And I think that that's honestly where a lot of the the relevant feminist critiques come from which is this is very much a man's experience in a man's world which i i i tend to be a little less critical of um but then it has way too many moments and i'm speaking broadly about shirabako way too many moments where it's kind of enjoying that fact a little too much i don't think taro is one of the moments where it's enjoying the fact that it's a man's perspective of a man's like a quote-unquote man's world and again there have long and forever been incredible women working in anime but just mm. broadly this feels very japanese businessy to me uh not even anime specific <laughs> of seeing a young man continue to fail and take credit for other work and even though he's not advancing necessarily he still doesn't get dismissed in any reasonable way when he says oh i'm going to be a director one day and he doesn't get fired be- that part is really just because you don't really fire folks in japanese business that's just uh, not the the process or the way that that issues yeah. are resolved. Um, should he get fired? Oh, absolutely. Um, but one thing that I like about Taro is we don't get insufferable characters like him very frequently um, that are just like purely insufferable, but not like inherently bad people, but just are really awful in their to other people in their daily interactions. It's just he's so self-absorbed he can't realize how miserable of a human being he is. Um, and so I, I really like that. Um, there was one point I really wanted to make about Taro. Oh, okay, here's the question. Uh, <laughs> men tend to get redemption arcs in stories like this. Uh, since neither of you have gotten ahead, do you think Taro is going to get redeemed? Hmm. PT, you go first. <laughs> I actually got a bit of a spoiler on this when oh, I was no. okay. yelling, uh, yelling okay. to Nate about it. So um, I'm not sure if I should say anything. Yeah, don't say anything. Yeah. Um, I haven't got a clue, so let me let me take a guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he will get redeemed. I think that there may be a period of introspection or reflection where he has to kind of really consider if he can continue going as he is but then I think he will return to actually continue how he is maybe slightly more mature but I don't think you go as far as to call it redemption um have, have either of you seen Mad Men Mad Men uh no I just I know have. the memes 
You have. Yeah. Okay, he reminds me a bit of Pete Campbell from Mad Men, where I think that there may be... (laughs) There may be times when he he does kind of think about his actions or where he is worried about consequences, but ultimately he's going to end up just being the same person um, and progressing as successfully as as you might expect from someone in his position. So no, I don't think he's going to be redeemed. All right. So, so he realizes that. he's a bad person, but then at the end of the day, that's the only way he knows how to live. I don't think I don't <laughs> think it's realizing anything like that. I think there might be a time where he genuinely risks getting not necessarily fired, but really risks getting disciplined or demoted or anything like that, and mm-hmm. that really forces him to consider. Or he has a I don't know a frank conversation with Aoi where she really dresses him down and says, "Do you realize what what you're doing here?" And he actually takes it in for some reason. Um, things would have had to have progressed to get to that point because he's not at all introspective at the moment and he's completely oblivious even when Aoi's really blunt with him. So, yeah, I don't know what character development lies ahead for him, but I don't think he's going to end this series as like some noble, virtuous young man supportive of the people around him. That is something I'm actually pretty interested in, uh, whether or not, uh, like, how the recognition sort of works out uh, as the series progresses, whether he and Aoi keep sort of abreast of each other or she starts pulling ahead because she's more genuine and hardworking. So, like, they're the relative levels of success when the amount of effort they're putting in uh, is obviously so unequal. Okay, one thing I really like about Chirobako is the fact that there are so many supportive friendships between the women. And that's mm-hmm. in the workplace, and that's the five school friends. So I really, really appreciate that they've actually got that aspect. There's no kind of catty senpai who's trying to, like, crush the, the kohai beneath her heel or anything like that. <laughs> it's, or not so far anyway, <laughs> I don't know. But so far, it seems like Erika's really looking out for Aoi. I, I get the impression that she's maybe been in the job slightly longer. I could be wrong on that. They may have started at the same time, but she's kind of protective and make sure that Aoi just kind of has the space to do her job properly and really kind of pushes her to do her job properly and reminds her when she needs kind of nudging on certain things. Um, But, you know, Aoi's perfectly competent, but that kind of support seems to go a long way. And then outside the workplace, when the the five school friends all met up for a drink, I absolutely (laughs) loved that scene, that whole thing. And like Shizuka had just done quite badly at an audition and she was totally fine until she started drinking and then it all came out and oh, I so identified with that moment in particular. <laughs> and she was just kind of surrounded by people who were saying, it's okay, you'll be fine. Like the next time you'll completely smash it. You'll, you'll do a great job. You're so talented. And that is, that's a kind of female friendship that I think anime is often better for than Western live action television. I think it's, it's really, really nice to see. I just, I just wish there were more anime that showed that kind of friendship um, with amongst adult women. I think we don't really see that a lot. No, no, and <laughs> honestly, that was one of my favorite parts of the show from the very earliest stages. Yeah, because so many anime series that are about supporting your friends are kind of in like the shonen tradition. Is that's where like the friendship is so important, um, and where like working together for a greater cause or all we all want to reach our dreams is such a is (laughs) like so in anime is so associated strongly with male characters or uh 
series aimed at young boys and as someone who has the heart of a young boy i really love that element of shirabako <laughs> to see different kinds of characters have dreams that they felt with the conviction of naruto wanting to be hokage right like yes. that was just and then i i mean in later episodes of this podcast we're going to get real into it uh the way that these women support each other is just yeah i don't see this in western media i don't see that kind of really just deep understanding and uh support system uh play out among women without like even calling to the fact that oh wow girl power or we're we're women helping women like that that kind of perspective isn't it's just so natural for of course we're going to help each other out and i i really liked that I think one of the strengths of the series is uh, the cathartic moments that it has, uh, like that one when they were drinking after work. Uh, also, um, when they went to the, that was the art show regarding, I, I don't remember what they called that. Itapon. That, Itapon, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, that's actually another thing, I'd sort of, the two ideas tie together, how they discussed the, uh, some like current things that were going on in the industry, like to the how 2D animators feel about the rise of 3D oh, yeah. and like the how anime is just like exploding and, and more and more anime is being made every year, that kind of thing. Um, but then uh, the way they kind of got back together by realizing they were both huge fans of Edapon. Uh, a lot of characters have those moments where they sort of remember why they got into the industry and why they were so passionate about it. Usually it's some anime that they watched when they were a kid that really inspired them. As someone... Yeah, like I guess anyone who's like a real big anime fan or works in the anime industry, they can probably really appreciate that. And I think those moments were really done well. Like I was just like, yes, that's so true. I really love the glimpse that we got of the film that they made. Yes, um, it's it was so yeah. sweet. I didn't I didn't yeah. really realize at the time, <laughs> but when they actually screened part of it, and like the character designs were so simple, and all of the characters were voiced by the girls, and I hadn't mm-hmm. expected that, and it was just this really sweet little touch that oh, they really did everything. They didn't yeah. have any outside help at all. They just made this entire project from scratch, and they didn't even get a round of applause at the end of its screening or anything like that. People just assumed, oh, okay, that's. That's good enough. They didn't kind of recognize the amount of work that went into it, but they loved it anyway. And that was, I thought that was a beautiful moment when Shizuka's kind of having this time of doubt and she watches this film again and she tries to recapture that feeling about it. Yeah. Uh, Another thing I liked uh, as well was that uh, I I didn't know this because all I'd seen was like key art and stuff like that that has all the main girls together. Um, So I assumed it was going to be some sort of magical all-female workplace, kind of like Lucky Star, or to a lesser extent, Sakura Quest, where, um, I I don't know, it just, as to be representative of the anime industry, I felt like if if it was just like, you know, uh, those girls working together in a single office with no men, I thought that would be kind of weird. I knew there were men that worked around them, but I thought they were like the core team. Um, And I really like what they did instead was they spread them out across different areas of the industry and like different levels of progress. So like the 3D animators still going to college, um, and then the voice actress is applying at a bunch of different studios because I guess a lot of them couldn't conceivably work together just the way the industry is put together. Like as a voice actor, you, you go around a lot. As a production assistant, you kind of work usually, I, I guess, for a single studio, I believe. That's basically the only job in the industry where you're working for a single studio. And so 
they couldn't all be at the same studio. Yeah, and I like that a lot more because it's like they remain friends. They're all super passionate about it, uh, and they meet up afterward, and they, like, help each other out. Um, but they're all working in, like, different sectors and are at different points in their career, uh, which seems, like, just way more realistic. And I think it provides better opportunity for story, too. So I was really impressed by that when compared to a show. I mean, I liked um, – did I say Lucky Star earlier? It was New Game, New Game. I, I don't oh, know yeah. Lucky Star. Yeah, yeah, New Game, uh, where, um, I mean, it's a funny show, but, like, the, the all-female workplace, uh, I have trouble. <laughs> I mean, if there, is a, if there is a gaming company in Japan that's 100% women, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems just not very representative. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it exists. I think pe- mm-hmm. the commentary around New Game at the time was that the experiences were true to life, but the context was not. Yeah, and it's like the reason that all those women are together is because it'll be cuter that way. Yes, exactly. Whereas it really doesn't feel like that. For all I said earlier about the the kind of lack of diversity in character design um, compared to the male characters, like there is so clearly a difference in experience between the different characters. And that kind of um, mentoring relationship between various of them, and again, another thing that I really appreciated, um, you've got uh, Emma, who is so, she clearly has such self-doubt about her abilities and such respect for the people around her that when those people kind of reach out to her and say, it's okay, you can you can help, or when she's observing and she's just able to learn, like that's something that I, I really respect about it. I'd like to see more from Emma's development. Right now I find her a bit challenging as a character. I think she's so reserved and so self-doubting I'd really like to see her kind of progress and build up some confidence in herself. I'm assuming we'll get that in the the next uh, however many episodes, 18 episodes. By the way, is that a thing, like a stereotype in Japan where if you're a character animator, you like to dress like a lollygoth? <laughs> uh, that will actually get a really good explanation, which makes... Oh, really? So, I was re- <laughs> so when we're at the first six episodes of the series... I was rolling my eyes at that in the same way that I rolled my eyes at the first visual I saw of Shirobaka with all of the girls in swimsuits. (laughs) Um, I'm like, oh, okay, let's just, here's more fetish bait. Here's more, um, you know, this show does a lot in really subtle ways to kind of uh, play up the male gaze in ways that, like, this show is so above in so many other places. Um, Honestly, that's why I, I hate, like, I one time documented every time like the show was like uncharacteristically fan servicey mm. um and there's like 15 moments throughout all 24 episodes that like i had a i'm like what are you doing you're taking away from like the importance of this great show which is maybe me putting too much importance on the show i don't know um <laughs> and definitely coming from like uh western uh coastal perspective for sure she was one of them originally, and then I watched more, and when we get the explanation of why she dresses like that, um, it actually is one of the most validating, like, wonderful feminist things in the show, is her wearing the gothic Lolita outfit. Okay. Hold on for that. Look forward to that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Take your word for it for now. I'm going to stay, stay a bit skeptical. Um, Please. I'm sold, quite... Sold up that moment. <laughs> quite wary of shows that kind of justify their <laughs> their kind of audience pandering decisions um but as we'll you see. should be yeah. as you should be we'll see when we get there um i think the the only character then who is kind of going to continue to be a frustration for me on that level is then segawa who 
she has this big chest. It's, they draw attention to it. I didn't actually notice it. Like it's not, it's not in your face huge. And she's not wearing particularly revealing clothes when we meet her or at any point since I've seen her. Um, but they draw attention to it with the camera, with Aoi's eyes. Um, later on when they talk about her in conversation, there's like three moments in the first episode or so where they just make sure that you're really, really aware that Segoa has a big chest, even though she's this really accomplished animator. And the fact that that kind of obscures what I think is the more interesting story about her, which is this relationship she seems to have with Endo. I have no idea what happened there and I'm so keen to, to find out more. They seem to be sort of rivals, but that doesn't seem to quite describe it. It's like they rate and respect each other, but also don't. I'm really intrigued. I have no idea what the, the situation is there and I want to know more, but instead we just get all this time wasted on, on her chest. Well, the feeling I got from Endo is, I don't know if she really considers him. She seems to respect him. Uh, I feel like he is just a very competitive type and feels threatened by other animators and like really uh, maybe he's less secure with his own art than he, he lets on because uh, the 3D thing, uh, the 3D like subplot uh, with the explosions that they didn't know whether they wanted to make 2D or 3D. Uh, and uh, several times uh, like somebody goes like, well, what's the problem with our art? And he's forced to say there's there's no problem. It's just kind yeah. of realistic and I don't like that. I guess they've they've worked closely together previously, but I I don't know if I really got a sense of rivalry out of it. I think he's just insecure. I think somebody else says says the word rivalry at one point, um, which is where I've got it from because I didn't pick up on that either until I think someone says it. But either way, they have quite an interesting and unusual relationship between a male and a female character for sure um, on this show. And I'm very intrigued to see where that goes. And I wish they hadn't spent so much time on a chest, that is all. We've got 24 episodes for that and I'm not really interested in defending the time spent on the chest, <laughs> even with, oh, but this is a realistic depiction. No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like, I have heard conversations similar to that of in, like, Japanese workplaces before. It is kind of uncomfortable how frequently people's physical characteristics like that are discussed in the workplace. But, you know, that not everything needs to make it into anime. And that's certainly... Um, there's this great line, reality is, is like no defense of fiction. And just because something is real does not mean that it will make your story any better for being included. So it has to be, it has to serve the story. And that is something that just doesn't serve the story from what I've seen so far. Uh, I do. Uh, I remember they do something similar with uh, Kinoshita where um, he gets an argument with that other guy about the air conditioner, but it, then it just turns into the other guy repeatedly calling him fat, basically. And I guess they, I, I don't know, that's kind of a joke that goes around that character, how he talks about how he lost weight and then, if, like, his fried chicken's done. That actually ends up being a little more relevant within the story. Yeah. Not that I'm... I mean, I do again, know that's, that's I'm more not common keen on in Asian that cultures. Like, it's, I guess it's sort of hard for the um, in Korea. Like, you're, it's almost the expectation if you're overweight, people are going to make jokes out of it. Uh, it's the, the idea is, to, I guess, to encourage you to lose weight. Um, but it's, it's more culturally accepted. Um... But it's still kind of, uh, it's sort of on the same the same yeah. trajectory, I guess. So another thing I wanted to bring up about the series that I really liked was uh, Marukawa. Uh, and I don't know if this is supposed to be an accurate depiction. Uh, he's he's based on Masao Maruyama, um, who, who is a president of Madhouse and now MAPA. 
And I don't know if this is supposed to like specifically represent his style of being the head of a, a animation studio or maybe a greater context about the president of anime studios. But I like that he uh, is just this very supportive personality that sort of comes in to rally the troops from time to time who spends most of the, his day cooking. And they, I, I, it's something that's very noticeable, but the characters themselves don't make a big deal out of it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really think that's sort of a charming aspect of the series. I'm really curious if, as to if Mariyama actually does that. But uh, <laughs> I, I feel like it's a very it's a very atypical role for a male character to take. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I found that um, not him, but the the um, director reminded me a lot of the chief, the department chief from Planetess. You haven't seen this yet, have you, Peter? I read the first omnibus. Ah, uh, no, he doesn't exist in that. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a, he's this kind of bumbling <laughs> sort of character. Um, it's, it's he really reminded me of him. Um, but at the same time, like he's clearly got this instinct of of what is artistic and what is what they really can achieve. Um, and yet he ends up being dressed up as this kind of man baby, and. I thought I thought that was a bit of a shame. I feel like a di- is this again the the kind of director presenting his unflattering self image? There's a bit of that for sure. I, I think that I mean also this ties me into something that I really was frustrated with about the series is almost all of the men in this show mm. are have some sort of major character flaw. Um, so we've got the director <laughs> who's uh, you know. Uh, super whiny we've got taro who's taro um we've got that other uh animator what's his name yeah who's you know biking instead of finishing his keyframes like we have all these men who have like all these pretty significant flaws and all of the women are have like a baseline competence and i was kind of frustrated to not see any of the women get that especially in the first six episodes get that kind of depth of oh they're making they are having problems happen to them because of their personal mistakes it's only the men who are not only this kind of ties in with what i was saying earlier about how there's more diversity of temperament but amongst the men like it feels like the spectrum of of like temperamental personality for women like it starts off reasonably positive and it just gets more positive whereas men have the full spectrum of positive to negative character traits but at the same time is that is that just to demonstrate that women, as we were talking about the the character designs for for body type and for for being like upbeat and for being cool, and is this just the way that women have to be in the workplace to to do as well as these men who are throwing tantrums? I don't. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. That's that's so frustrating. <laughs> uh, got to be consistent. If that's going to apply to no, one area of it, it's got to apply to all of right. it. That's frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh. I definitely feel like like uh, flaws like Endos, I feel, are very narratively useful uh, because they can sort of highlight some of these divisions within the industry itself uh, and kind of like uh, the competitive, if there is a, a hugely competitive scene among like uh, keyframe animators um, regarding their like different styles and who gets what jobs uh, and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, a lot of them just seem to be for the purpose of gags. Um, and there's like a lot of, uh, what, what would I call that? Narrative inequality Yeah. in, in how they're approached. 
So like I, I like from from the perspective, I think Endo's like a really valuable character with his like very distinct flaws, but a lot of them are just like for goofs. Endo's probably the character I find most interesting at this point, mm. and and Segar as well, but she's had less screen time. But I find I find him the most interesting character. Like when he's on screen, I want to know what's going to happen next. Um, Peter, who's your kind of the character you find most interesting at this stage? I might have to go with Endo. It might just be because they, um, he was, he's been like the, uh, at least tangentially related, usually like a primary character in like three different subplots so far. Mm. Um, the 2D to 3D one, the, the one where they needed the extra keyframes done early on and he refused to do it. So it seems like he's always, uh, like, a um, very important to each of those plots. So it might just, until, like, the story starts moving into different directions, I don't know, that, unless that keeps happening to him, I felt like I've had more of an opportunity to see a lot of his character and his drawbacks and, like, you know, he got a whole character resolution where yeah. he makes up with, I can't remember the 3D animator's name. No, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> uh, so, and I, I feel like he's probably one of the most realistic people so far because he he's bored, straddling that line of, like, having distinct character flaws and without being cartoonish. And we've also had insight into his personal life at home with his wife. So it just because of maybe it's just the amount of screen time that he's gotten. But so far, I'm, I think I've been most interested in the plot surrounding him. I don't think it's just screen time, though, is it? I think they've really handled him well as a character, yeah. especially in such a massive ensemble. It really frustrated me in episode one when they introduced each character with their, their name and job title. And that's something that I have a real bugbear about when you see names on screen and when when that's your way of introducing a character, to me, it feels like that's just lazy. I feel like if you're telling a story, you're introducing a character, you should introduce a character, not just slap their name on the screen and call it a day. However, since the episodes have continued and they've continued to do that, I've been really grateful for it because I haven't got a clue who anyone is because it's such a big cast. So actually having that reminder of this is their name and this is their job, that I, that's actually been invaluable. And I can see it seemed like it was just the same as other anime, which are, I think, giving lazy introductions to their characters by putting the names on screen. But here it's actually a tool so that you can kind of track what's going on. Um, so, yeah, that's something that I have come and turned around on, I think. Yeah, I definitely think it was very... Uh... I, I have that problem with character introductions a lot too, but in this, I, I almost feel like uh, it is a tool that you can use when it's necessary, and this yeah. is one of those shows where it's absolutely justified. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they realize there's a huge cast, and all of them have very specific jobs, and I even noticed in the beginning, like, I had no idea what was going on, even though I've done some research into, like, this process before, like, you know, the, the how anime is made. Yeah. Um, and I, they're they're introducing it pretty well because I feel like I've got a much better handle on it. Six episodes in, uh, like this very like very minute details of their different jobs, um, but kind of the way all of that's consolidated into like you gaining an understanding of it, I, I feel is really well handled. And one of the aspects of that, I guess, was just constantly reminding you what everybody's name and job title is because <laughs> that's probably something you'd have to keep track of being new yeah. in the anime industry. Miles, how realistic is Shirobako? I know you get asked this a lot, but just for our readers who aren't on Twitter. I first have to say that I have not... No, it, it is, because there's a couple couple things I have to say first, which is one, I my, my day job is I do marketing at Crunchyroll, which, you know, is the biggest international, like, anime distribution company. 
so I don't work on the business. I only work on the business side of anime. I don't work on the production side of anime. And even on the business side of anime, the people I talk to most in anime are either producers or uh, sales agents. So I'm talking to people who like are selling the product to TV stations in Asia. And then they also sell to like my comp the company I work for. Or I'll talk to a producer who will like Nabe P and Shirobaka, we haven't seen him much because he's not really involved in the day-to-day -day of the production necessarily. That can certainly change depending on the producer. But I love talking to producers about it and saying like, oh, like um, uh, this producer said all producers should do this and then bringing that to another producer and them saying, no, of course I get involved with my anime. Of course I'm like there on the day-to-day. -day. Anime industry is different enough that it's hard to like say, Oh, this is a realistic, I mean, even if it were a 100% realistic depiction of uh, Mizushima's life, it would not be accurate, right? Because anime is so big and broad, and so folks try and, like, think of anime as a monolith, and, oh, every studio works in the same way, and every anime makes its money in the same way, and every anime production looks the same, and there's just no truth to that. Um, but every producer I've talked to about Shirobako says that it is it is representative in some ways but more than representative it is accurate it is a very accurate story i would not say if you watch shirobako you understand how the anime industry works i would not say um you can use shirobako as like an example of how the production process goes but you can use it as a single starting off point or a single story to begin your investigation um, I, I mean like i said i watched the two hour like documentary on miss hokusai last night and that production looked nothing like shirobako except the director spent six months being depressed so he didn't finish the storyboards um and i'm like oh, oh no that's that's, that's shirobako right like <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's a little different here because uh, the anime that they're working on uh, is an original and in Miss Hokusai the reason the director had such a hard time finishing the storyboards was because he was so depressed at how good the manga was and he never thought he could make storyboards that did it justice oh no uh, that, it was so depressing like uh, one of my friends was watching with me and he said I'm never pirating anime again after watching this movie <laughs> 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 Okay, it's I very think... like Van Gogh. <laughs> I think that gives our readers and listeners a kind of good idea of where we stand in these first six episodes. Um, looking ahead slightly, where do you want to see it go from here? Peter, what, what are your hopes for the next six episodes? Uh, just the next six. Just the um, next six for now, or all of them? Hmm, uh, I guess I'd like to see them start getting more focused on different areas of the office um, outside... Uh, and uh, or maybe just like d different departments because I know they go like they've she's talked to the people over at coloring like two or three times but we really haven't gotten a good glimpse into that um, I would really like to see I don't know if it'll happen this early but the disparity but in the amount of effort between because I, I, I think of AOA and Taro I don't know if they've been working there about the same amount of time I, I get that sense though um, or maybe he's been there like maybe for an extra show or something um, but I'd like to see the amount of like effort and honesty that they're putting in. Uh, people start to notice and maybe like 
and give her some extra recognition at the very least. And uh, I guess I, it, it's really hard to say what I'd like to get out of the rest of the series. I guess uh, just in general, I'd like to see more ridiculous anime references like Initial D uh, with the, <laughs> the car chasing. Um, and I just I hope that they, they keep like doing this sort of like deep dive into how anime is made, whether or not it's representative of one studio or another, um, just generally. Um, I guess, yeah, uh, I, I like what they're doing so far, and I, I want to see um, just them focus on a broader cast and maybe some of the differences between the characters start getting recognized rather than just, you know, swept under the rug as, like, just goofy narrative points. Yep, makes perfect sense. I mean, these first sec- first six episodes have been really fast-paced, yeah. I think. Um, so it feels like we almost haven't had time to to really focus in on any of the characters um, even Aoi, who's like our emotional heart at this point, she's still, she's so busy. We just see her being really busy a lot of the time. We don't really get a sense of her yet, I think. We kind of see her in work mode a lot, but we haven't really, like, It's it just showed up that she doesn't really have a particular specific ambition that she's been working towards. She just wanted to work in anime, from what I could tell. Mm-hmm. Whereas and it took her friends kind of introducing to her the idea that she could become a producer, that actually gave her that's that potential for an ambition there so she it's almost like she hasn't even had time to really reflect on her experiences and reflect on on her place in the industry so there's we've got absolutely no chance of doing that so yeah i'm i'm completely with you i'd like to see more of the the characters fleshed out particularly the five school friends i think that we haven't seen really enough of them yet we've only got a glimpse of even emma who works in the same studio we haven't really seen her properly yet i think we haven't really seen her animating even very much um whereas the other three we've seen shizuka at her voice audition and the other two barely seen at all so it'd be really nice to build it up as an ensemble of that central five and get a better sense of how they fit together you're going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> All our wishes will be granted, apparently. Yeah, I think the other thing that I really want to see is uh, Taro being taken down a peg or two. <laughs> I really want to see that. <laughs> but I'm not I'm not too hopeful that that'll happen in the next six episodes, <laughs> if at all. Um, so that's that's kind of on my wish list, but I'm not hugely expecting it. I think, I think there will become a point where he does get a bit more focus on where he does have some kind of character development whether it's character growth i don't i don't think i'd say that um but i think he's going to get an episode or two where we really do focus on his character and i think that'll be really interesting to see because right now i have no empathy at all for this guy who's making Aoi's life so difficult um so <laughs> that's and their sabotaging challenge the production yeah 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 and like i really like Aoi's probably my favorite character so far i think she's set up to be that's a very easy <laughs> decision to make. But also I've worked as an assistant. So I, not in not in like anime production, but I've worked as an assistant and I've kind of been through the thought processes that she goes through where she's just trying to keep track of all her work and try not to let anyone down. And I, I really absolutely identify with that. And I think a lot of people who've had kind of entry-level office jobs will kind of see themselves in her and and kind of see her progress, mirroring progress that they had in their early days of work. So I'm, yeah, I'm really frustrated with Taro for <laughs> kind of causing problems with that. 
He's that guy in the office. We all know him. He's that guy, exactly. And I've totally yeah. worked with that guy. Now, Miles, anything about our discussion today? Has anything surprised you? Or is it pretty much in line with what you expected from us? Getting caught in my own contradiction was pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because I had definitely come from the angle of defending the show because, you know, this is based in realism. Like, not that, like, some of the, just the, like, diversity of female characters. Mm. Because so many of the characters are based off of um, real people. I was really... Like, I was upset about it, but I I was a little more understanding than maybe I should be. Um, But then also when I was saying, but none of the women, like, have issues or, like, make mistakes. And I'm like, well, those two things are completely intertwined. It's, it's, I mean, and that's kind of like the messiness of this series because it does such a great job of showing the positive elements of female relationships and still has issues. But, I mean, I I, uh, never throw the baby out with the bathwater. And there's been enough here to convince me that watching past that first 10 minutes was probably a good idea. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's something at least. Yeah, I'm, I really was getting into it. I think from the... Hell yeah. From maybe the third episode on. Honestly, the first couple of episodes I did struggle a bit. But from about the third episode onwards, I started just falling into the momentum of the anime <laughs> production process, I think. Um, and at this point, yeah, I'm really looking forward to watching the next six episodes. So thank you so much for joining us, Miles and Peter. Thank you for joining me in this watch along. We're going to do the next six episodes, episode seven to 12. Um, you can find the rest of our work at www.animefeminist.com. You can find us on Twitter at Anime Feminist. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Anime Femme. We are now available on SoundCloud. No, we're always available on SoundCloud. We're now available on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, still working on Google Play they've got some region locking and I'm the one with the passwords and I'm based outside the US so that's a bit inconvenient but we will get it onto Google at some point Um, we also have a Patreon that's patreon.com slash anime feminist and we're now comfortably beyond $900 in income and that means that weekly podcasts have begun as of last week so our next funding goal is to be able to pay the team when they edit a contributor's work They put in an awful lot of effort, and this is the core team who have been here since the month before launch. They've been working for no money for a really long time, and I really want them to be well compensated for this. So at the time of recording, we're just $194 away from being able to pay our editors for their work. So if you can spare a dollar a month, it all really adds up. So please go to www.patreon.com slash animefeminist and send us a dollar a month to continue our work. So thank you again to Peter and Miles, and we'll be back with episode 7 to 12.